Well, good evening, Mosaic. Let's stand together and worship. And I want to welcome you on the live stream as well. You can stand in your living room. We're going to sing about the goodness of God tonight.
Over the next month, members of fellowship will have the opportunity to nominate new elders to our elder board. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of our church body. We are not a church with elders. We are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And we ask that you enter into this season prayerfully. Here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Second, if you do have a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. Or if you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick one up at the information desk located in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualification of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 22nd. Please pray for your elders as we initiate the recognition of new elders. Finally, we would like to thank John Dyer and Doug Walker for their many years of faithful service as elders. They have done a phenomenal job of representing you and the Lord well during their tenure. When you see them, thank them for their service and thank you for your participation and help. Good evening. Hey, listen, can I just get personal for a minute and say thank you guys for coming. I need this. I need you to be in this room with me. Um, it's, this has just blessed me to be able to, to gather with other believers and worship God together. So just for my sake, thank you for coming. Um, thank you for, for coming and gathering in the rhythm of worship uh, and celebrating with God's people together. So anyway, just thanks. If, if this is your first time back, I know we still have people who are just coming back for the first time. Thanks for coming. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we want you to get connected and we want you to stay connected. And we have some ways on, on the screen that we can, can stay connected with you. We genuinely want to stay connected with you. So help us do that, okay? Let us know how we can serve you, how we can connect with you, how we can be a blessing to you. So again, thanks for being here. Listen, a couple of things I want to mention. We got, we're kind of moving forward into a new season. Um, next week, we'll be looking at um, kind of who we are and where we're going as a body, as Mosaic. So I want to encourage you to, to, to come and be a part of that and hear kind of the vision for what we believe God is calling us to do and be. Um, and then right around the corner from that is Advent. Can you believe that one year ago we started this in Advent? Does Rick, this look familiar to you guys? Okay. I had no idea how much I was going to need this when we started. Uh, this year, I don't know how, if, if it's been the same effect of you, but this year has been so hard for me to stay focused. And just having something tangible every week, both in this book, but also in the gatherings and the teachings that draws my attention back to Christ has been such a blessing. So tonight... 
we begin the last week of our Clarity Series. Can you believe that? Let me read to you what we said at the beginning. We want to see Jesus clearly. As followers of Jesus, we want him to be the central focus of our lives and our heartfelt, humble praise. In Psalm 27.4, David expressed a longing to experience unbroken, authentic fellowship with the Lord. Through Jesus, we are able to experience that intimacy and see him active in our lives, families, churches, communities, and world. The writer of Hebrews challenges us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. With this singular sense of focus, we will see Jesus with ever-increasing clarity. And that's been our goal through this year, is just to continue to point us back to Jesus. This is the vision we hope to accomplish, that we would commit to seeking Christ individually and collectively, having a unified vision of knowing and expressing the person of Jesus to Northwest Arkansas and the world. I hope that has been true for you as we've gone through this year. It has been true for me that it's just constantly drawing my attention back to Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and the promise of what he will do. And so that's, as we kind of wrap this up, I just, I hope that has been a blessing to you. And so I want to close by reading a prayer. It's the last prayer of our Clarity series. So I just want you to close your eyes and listen to the words of this prayer. And just kind of in your heart, just give, give your amen if this is your prayer as well. God of peace, continue to make me more like you. I thank you that your work in Christ is done. Jesus, thank you that you loosened the stranglehold of sin and removed the sting of death. Nothing can separate me from your love, not brokenness, affliction, trials, even death. Victory is yours. Yet I acknowledge that your work in me is still being done. Holy Spirit, thank you for faithfully loosening the grip of sin as I submit to your leading. Help me to continue to turn toward you and away from sin. Thank you for comforting me when life is difficult and darkness is around me. Help me to seek your peace and comfort every day. Oh God, sanctify every part of my being. Sanctify this church, this city, and all of creation. Heaven, make your home on earth. Lord, continue to make all things new. All shall be well, and all shall be well. All manner of things shall be well. Amen. Stand together. Yeah.
You know, people who study the art of communication say that you have just a few seconds at the beginning to convince people to listen to you. And so that's why uh, when people prepare sermons, they spend a lot of time thinking over that intro. How do you really grab someone's heart and, and, and pull them in? And was, when I was thinking about what would do that this evening, the answer was obvious. We need to talk about grammar. Because grammar will stir the hearts and souls of people unlike anything else in all existence. So tonight, we want to start by talking about the artistic beauty that is the verb. You see, in, in, in Greek grammar, there are primarily two different kinds of verb. There's something called the indicative verb. And what the indicative verb does is it tells you things. It describes what's happening and what has happened and what will happen. Uh, the indicative verb indicates something about the world. And then there's another kind of verb that's called the imperative verb. And the imperative verb commands you to do something. The imperative verb puts an obligation on the listener. You must go do this. You got that? Two different kinds of verbs. Indicative, this is what's happening. Imperative, this is what you must go do. Now, you want to know something interesting that I discovered as I was looking at 1 Thessalonians. Do you know how many imperative command verbs there are in the first three chapters of 1 Thessalonians? Zero. Not a single command in the entire first three chapters. Do you know how many commands there are in chapter 4? One. And it's the very last verse in the chapter. Encourage one another with these words. Do you know how many command verbs there are in chapter 5? 19. And guess what? 17 of them are in tonight's passage. In fact, 17 command verbs happen from verse 12 to verse 22. Think about those numbers. You got 11 verses and 17 commands. Now what does that tell us? That tells us we've got to approach this passage differently than we have the rest of the book. Okay? Now, there's a tendency in churchy circles to have a little bit of a problem with this divide between telling you wonderful good news about who God is and what God's doing and telling you to go do something. And here's how that works. Many of us have had one of two extreme experiences you have either seen a kind of faith that is nothing but commands and rules and obligation and zero love and awareness of who God is. Or 
You've seen a kind of faith that looks like a whole lot of really sweet religious ideas and zero follow through and action in the world. As if all God wants us to do is sit in a closet and pray all day and ignore hard things people are going through. And so we've created this really odd thing where we talk about being versus doing. As if those are enemies of each other. As if those are in constant conflict. Am I going to be a person who is committed to devotion and loving and adoring God? Or am I going to be a person who is committed to obeying God and doing what he says? And can we guess what the obvious answer is? The answer is yes. And in fact, that's why Paul can write a letter where he can go three chapters without giving you a single command, and then he can go 12 verses and give you 17 commands, and he hasn't betrayed the gospel. I actually heard it said one time by a pastor that no one in church should ever tell anyone to do anything. Apparently, Paul missed that preaching memo. You see, what he was saying was that if you really love God, obedience is natural and automatic. That goes against everything the Bible teaches about obedience. Obedience is an act of faith, and at times it hurts. At times it's hard. In fact, obedience is impossible to do with sincerity unless the Spirit of God is at work to transform us from the inside out. And so what we're going to look at tonight is what we've been calling this whole series the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done and is doing in this world to rescue and redeem sinners. That that gospel must transform the way we live. That when we truly understand it is going to, it is going to require a set of practices that define this community. And that if we aren't doing a certain kind of thing, that actually says something about what we truly believe about God. So as a result, this whole being and doing, devotion and acting, praying and obeying, they are not enemies, but they are right foot and left foot of the Christian walk. And one cannot move forward past where the other one is going in a healthy way. So here's the challenge I'm going to give you. We can't walk out of here and obey and transform 17 different commands in our lives this week. What I'm going to ask us to do is to take a moment now to pray and ask that God would lay one on your heart. That as you are listening, as we are going to the scriptures together, that we would be praying, God, what is one act of obedient faith you're asking me to take this week? Can you imagine what it would do to a congregation if the entire congregation took one step of obedient faith this week? That could change the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas and the world. One week of an obedient church. So would you pray with me that way right now? Lord, we love you. Um, and that is our prayer. Uh, that tonight when we come to your scriptures, uh, based on everything we've learned about who you are, of what you're doing, of the love you have for your people, Lord, would you transform the way we live? Would you shape our behavior to reflect your heart? Guide us by your wisdom. Empower us by your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Hey, if we've never met, my name is Nick, and uh, I get the joy of serving fellowship here um, in what's called the training center. And so what we do is we, we work on classes on Bible and theology and ministry and, and spiritual growth, and, uh, and it, it's a, a delightful thing uh, to get to serve this church that way. And I'm delighted to be here in Mosaic, a place that our family called home for eight years. And so it's really, really good to be back. Hey, what we're gonna see when we walk through these commands in 1 Thess 5, verses 12 to 22, is that they are gonna focus on relationships. That what... Paul is saying is that specifically the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is going to change the way we relate to people. Um, when you think about what happened when Adam and Eve first sinned, the first thing they experienced was not judgment and death, but broken relationship. That was the first tangible experience of sin and rebellion in their lives. And so when Paul starts talking about how we live differently because of our faith, he's going to go after reconciling relationships. And he's going to talk about three different kinds of relationships in this passage. He's going to talk about the relationship between a church and its leadership. He's going to talk about the relationship of a church with each other. And then he's going to talk about the relationship between the church and their God. Okay, so those are the three different directions. And I think it's kind of special that I get to, to talk with us at first, about the relationship between a church and its leadership, because I'm not a part of the leadership team here at Mosaic. And so I get to kind of, as an outsider, come in and, and talk a little bit to both sides um, of what the scriptures say to leaders of a church and how the church should interact with those leaders. So let's take a look. First Thess chapter 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you and who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Okay, so in verse 12, Paul names three activities that the leadership of the church must be doing. He assumes that they're doing this. First, he says they are working hard among you. That leadership in the church is labor. That it is work that will take everything you have. And then secondly, they are going to care for you that they are gonna shepherd you, that they are gonna step into the painful things of your life with you, and then finally, that they will admonish you. Admonishing means to look at someone's way of living and challenge them to live differently. Now, right out of the gate, can you see the kind of burden that would be on a person? To work hard among a group of people to care for them in a way that you step into their pain and their hurt, and at the same time, you're responsible for challenging them when their lives are out of line with the way Jesus calls them to live. I want you to begin by saying, I know the pastoral team here at, Fellowship, at Mosaic, and I can tell you that they are doing this. I can tell you that when a member of this body gets seriously ill, they weep and pray on your behalf. I can tell you that when a marriage in this body goes through deep turmoil and pain, they weep and they pray on your behalf. The, the leadership team here at Mosaic loves and cares for you deeply. And therefore, Paul says, acknowledge them. 
love them well. So what does that look like? Well, let me give a, maybe a, a balance to, uh, to some potential abuses of this passage that have happened in the history of the church more broadly. Some leaders have used a passage like this to say, you have to do what I say and honor me no matter what. I'm above challenge and I'm above correction. So let me just say this to anyone in a position of leadership in the body of Christ in here. That is completely out of bounds and an inappropriate way to lead. Look at what Peter said to the leaders of the church in his letter. He said, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Three warnings that Peter gives. Don't be an unwilling, obligated servant. Don't be dishonest and seeking personal gain. And don't be an arrogant, entitled, abusive leader who lords your authority. So to the leadership, I would challenge to live what Paul says the leaders are doing here. Give your heart and soul to this congregation. Care for this congregation and have the courage to challenge when it's time to challenge. Now, on the flip side, I do want to address the question, what about when leadership does make a mistake? What about when leadership gets something wrong? I had a fantastic opportunity to see this at work earlier this year when I taught a passage of scripture and just got it wrong. Did y'all see the Mary incident? Okay, good. And it was Sunday evening at about 10 o'clock when I checked my email before I went to bed just to see if there's anything I need to have my, on my radar. And I had an email from a sweet member of this body who in all humility said, hey Nick, man, I, I'm sure you did a ton of work and, and are really aware of the scripture, but I was confused about something. I've always thought it was like this rather than the way you taught it. And at first I went, nah, that can't be right. But then I got curious and went and looked and said, oh my goodness. And I proceeded to receive about 20 emails from really sweet members of this body saying, hey, Nick, are you aware? And I was blessed by the humble correction of this body. Can I tell you another example of when correction was really painful? I was doing student ministry here at Mosaic. I don't remember who the family was. I don't remember what this incident was. But a parent called and said, Hey, can we meet for lunch? I want to talk about something. I said, sure, that'd be great. So we meet, I sit down, and they launch with, on some area I had been leading in, and they said, hey, Nick, a whole bunch of the parents have been getting together and talking, and they're all really frustrated with how you're leading in this area. Oh, can you imagine the insecurity that blew up in me when the lead out was the parents are all getting together and talking about your leadership? devastating. In fact, Jesus gave us a direction for how to correct in Matthew chapter 18. He said, hey, when somebody's out of line, go straight to them. Go straight to them and have a conversation about it in love for the sake of unity. And so the picture that Paul is, is painting here 
in redeemed relationships is instead of the way the world does leadership, where the people in leadership treat it as a, a privilege and an authority that they can wield for their own advantage over people, Paul says, no, 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 there is leadership in the church, but it is always a humble act of service meant to be done in love and appreciation. So one application point right out of the gate is who has been serving and loving you during this year that could use a thank you? That could just use a phone call. What small group leader? What person in your life who's mentoring and pouring into you could, could just use a phone call? It's been a hard year. I haven't actually seen any statistics, but I hear people are bailing on ministry like crazy in 2020. It's been a hard year on everybody. People just need to hear some encouragement. And for you in leadership, people need some encouragement. People need to see approachable, humble, caring, godly leadership. So the first relationship Paul says the gospel must transform is how leadership in the church happens. The second one he approaches is how we care for each other in the church. Take a look at this. In verse 14, he says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, so now he's turned his attention back to everybody, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Okay, notice Paul gives four commands here. Four commands on how we're to interact with each other, and the key is he gives a different from command for each different kind of person. Because guess what? Not everybody needs the same thing. This discernment is key to loving each other. How many parents figured out you can't parent the second kid like you did the first one? Right? Every child needs a different thing. And a, a, a rule that I, got, I was told a long time ago in parenting and working with kids that was so powerful to me, fairness is not doing the same thing for everyone. Fairness is doing the right thing for everyone. And so that's what Paul says here. He says you need to recognize where somebody is and do the right thing. So the first thing he said is you need to admonish, here's that same word again, those who are idle and disruptive. This is a word that is primarily used of people in the military who are breaking ranks and not following orders. The picture is someone who says, hey, I'm going by a different playbook than everyone else. I don't care what you're calling us to. I'm going my own way, and I'm going to create havoc while I do it. Now, what's really interesting to me is notice Paul doesn't tell the leadership to correct them. He tells the entire body to correct them. Do you see the kind of unity that Paul is calling for here? When people say, hey, I'm not gonna be a part of the mission of this church, I'm still gonna show up, I'm still gonna make my voice heard, I'm still gonna complain, but I'm not gonna buy in to what God's doing here. Paul says, hey, challenge that person in the way they're living. But then Paul immediately goes on to name a second kind of person. He said, encourage the disheartened. The word, it, it literally means, if you break it down, the person who has little soul. Gosh, how many of you have felt like you were a person with little soul left this year? The person whose tank is on empty. The person who has nothing left. 
Paul says that person does not need to be admonished. That person needs to be encouraged. That person needs someone to come along them and lift them up. And then he says, help the weak. Now, we don't know exactly. The word weak is a pretty broad term here. Does it mean physically weak and sick? Possibly. Does it mean spiritually? Somebody maybe who's struggling with some of the sins that Paul has talked about in this book. It it could be a wide range of things. But he says that the church is a place for weak people. You see, the danger is if we start with that admonish people who aren't with the program is that we'll become this military unit that it's only about the mission who has no time for people who are weak and struggling. And Paul says, no, no, no. We have to be able to at the same time challenge people, encourage people, and help people. And you know what that takes? It takes a lot of discernment from the Spirit of God, and it's going to take different kinds of people in the church. Some of you are phenomenal at rebuking people. Anybody want to own that in here? I'm just really good at challenging people. I have a friend who loves it. Like he kind of just waits to see someone who needs a rebuke and he dives right in. It's a spiritual gift of his. Some of you are phenomenal. I love the people who are elbowing other people. I asked you to own it yourself, not to own it for your friend. Some people are really gifted at helping the weak. And we're put in a family together. Because different people are going to need different kinds of ministry. And notice, Paul does not put these responsibilities on the pastoral leadership. He puts it on the entire congregation. That we are to be a family who does this for each other. And then his final command, he's addressed the disorderly, he's addressed the disheartened, he's addressed the weak. And finally he says, be patient with whom? Everyone. Now, The word patient means to suffer for a long time. Now think about the implication of that. Paul says doing church with people, trying to get along with other people is going to be suffering. Your community group is going to cause you to suffer by the sheer nature of their personalities. Oftentimes we talk about authentic community and what we think authentic community looks like is people that I feel so natural around because they're exactly like me, it's easy. That is not authentic community. That is fake community. That's a college dorm room. Authentic community is when you're around people who are so different than you that it is suffering to be in the same room with them and hear them talk, and you're patient enough with them to love them well. Paul says that's a community that has the gospel transforming it. Be patient with everyone. And then I think he, in verse 15, unpacks what that kind of patience looks like. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Hey, can I put another application challenge out there? Who has wronged you that everything in your flesh calls for you to wrong them back? But right now, the gospel is calling you to seek their good. Now, there's a lot of different situations. That might not mean you need to reach out to them right now. There are some situations that would be unhealthy and unsafe. And to get to that place, 
where God transforms your heart to genuinely and honestly desire the good of the person who's wronged you, that might not be a this week challenge. That might be the next 10 years challenge. But that is the work that God wants to do in our hearts, to be that kind of community that doesn't say, you hurt me, I hurt you back, so it never happens again. But to be the kind of community that seeks the good even of those who've wronged us. And then finally, Paul turns his attention to the way we connect with God, to the way we connect with the Lord. And in verse 16, he says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many of you in here would love to know God's will for your life? Let's just do a little test on how desperate we've gotten to find God's will. Has anybody ever tried this method? Lord, should I take the job or not? Sihon, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. I gotta get creative with the interpretation on that one. How many of you have done the, Lord, I've got path A and path B. If the phone rings in the next 30 seconds, you're telling me path A. Hey, you know, I can tell you right now God's will for your life with absolute certainty. God's will for your life is that you would rejoice always, that you would pray continually, and that you would give thanks in all circumstances. Our family has been working through uh, 1 Thessalonians just a few verses at a time as we've been studying this as a church, and, and we got some hard news this week. Um, something that was gonna be a real challenge we knew we were gonna have to walk through, so we went to dinner to talk about it as a family. There were tears, a lot of sadness, um, a lot of difficulty. We came home, and I didn't even know what verse we were on. I opened the Bible, and I read this. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And so we had to sit there in our prayer time and say thank you to God. I remember a season in my life when I was just buried with discouragement, anxiety, and fear, and I just felt completely dry in my walk with the Lord. So I started going to some men in my life that I trusted, and I told them the circumstances, and I said, prescribe something for me. I met with, I believe it was about five different people in the course of four weeks. Every single one of them said the same thing. Nick, are you thanking God? I mean, like regularly telling God thank you? Because I think that's what's gonna transform your life right now, is to develop a habit of saying thank you to God. Paul then goes on to describe what happens when we gather and worship, and he says this, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Now, there's a huge discussion on what exactly is prophecy that we don't have time to go into tonight. Let's just give it a really broad definition. That prophecy is when God puts something to share on someone's heart that is, is not necessarily just coming straight out of Scripture. It's anytime God lays something on someone's heart to share. That's a, we'll work with that as a very broad general definition. And Paul warns against two extremes. On the one, he says, don't treat them with contempt. Don't become overly skeptical and cynical so that the minute somebody says, man, I've been praying and I think God's leading me this way, you go, pfft. But on the other hand, he says, test everything. We also don't want to become naively gullible so that every time somebody thinks they have something on their heart, we immediately go, this is the word of the Lord. Let's all jump and follow it. Instead, he says, a healthy church is always open and always discerning. 
always listening to what God's doing in people's lives and always going back and checking the scriptures, checking the heart of God, checking biblical wisdom to see if it lines up. He says, this is the way a healthy, wise, spirit-filled church behaves. The gospel is gonna transform the way we interact with leadership. It's gonna transform the way we interact with each other. It's gonna transform the way we interact with God so that the gospel will transform every single relationship and aspect of our lives. So, has God laid something on your heart? As an act of faith, a step of obedience you could take this week? Let me suggest just two paths forward for you. One, what hurt relationship in your life needs to be mended and given grace? Where do you need to extend patience and care to someone? And secondly, what relationship needs an expression of gratitude and appreciation? Maybe it's vertical to God. Maybe you need to tell God thank you for what he's been doing and he is doing. Maybe you need to tell someone in your life thank you for how God's used them. Guys, this isn't easy. This isn't automatic. But it is empowered by God's spirit. And that's why Paul goes straight from 17 commands to a prayer. So we're gonna close tonight with me praying this over us. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Christ Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. God, I... I take the prayer of Paul and I pray it for us here in Northwest Arkansas in 2020. Lord, I pray that we would be a people, a community shaped by what you've done and what you're doing in our midst. Lord, I pray that we'd be obedient. I pray that our response to your goodness and your grace would be to be people who obey, who live transformed, give transformed lives, give us patience with each other, prepare us to suffer for and with each other. Lord, I pray that the clarity that the gospel brings would also bring unity and peace among your people. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
God, we look to you for everything we need, for all our hopes, all our dreams. You know tomorrow, and we trust you with tomorrow. Thank you for being steadfast in your love for us. Amen. Hey, church, I want to take a moment tonight um, to honor a leader uh, who's been with Mosaic for 13 years. And tonight's her last night to sing in this place, to lead you in worship. Gretchen. Um, yeah. You have surely uh, sung many songs led by Gretchen over the years. Um, but in the, in, in the ways you know that she's led uh, us here at Mosaic on stage, on the platform, um, that is vastly outweighed by uh, her service not on stage. Um, whether um, making sure things like baptisms can happen here at Mosaic, uh, or when we take communion, Gretchen's been responsible for uh, leading the teams that would fill cups for us to take communion together, um, to discipling so many women, and uh, and to lead to leading our hearts to, to Jesus, uh, week in and, and week out, and she'll be missed. But here's the thing, and I know I sound choked up, but I'm excited for Gretchen, and we as a staff are excited for Gretchen because she's taking a job as a worship pastor at a local church and she's gonna flourish. And many will see the face of Jesus more clearly because of this woman. And uh, while we have been blessed to have her here for a time, here at Mosaic, we wanna be senders. You've heard it said. And when we send, we send our best. And this is our best. And so for the sake of the kingdom um, and just for gratitude for her, Let's show her how much we care for her. And now she's going to sing a solo for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this woman, Gretchen. Thanks for her leadership in this place, in my life. Um, do great things through her. And for the many more that will wear these kind of shoes here at Mosaic and that will get sent out to other places, um, continue, Lord, to go before us and bless us. Know how we love you. Pray all this in your name. Amen. You're dismissed. See you next week.